Thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. To settle as a Christian means that you're not growing and changing. Does that sound like you? Dr. Rocky Ramsey finishes his message today on the danger of settling from the Revelation series, where we're currently in the beginning of chapter 3. So how do you keep from settling as a Christian? Now, number four, settlers assume that they are fine as they are. They are fine as they are. Well, I'm a good Christian. I used to be a bad person. I'm a good Christian now. I'm doing fine. I mean, look how bad I was. Look how good I'm now. I'm doing great. A humanistic worldview thinks that men are basically good. A biblical worldview declares that men are basically bad. We are broken by sin. We are bent toward sin. And a part of man's brokenness is thinking that he's not broken. A part of man's lostness is thinking that he's not lost. And because that, because that brokenness, he doesn't think he needs Jesus. He's fine. And same thing with Christians. We can think, I'm fine. Look how much better I am than I used to be. People think, tend to think that they are fine as they are. They're better than they used to be, and they're pretty proud of it. The question is not this. The question is not, am I better than I used to be? The real question is, am I who I'm supposed to be? That's a great question. Because I could be a whole lot better than I used to be and not at all be who I'm supposed to be. Agreed? Not at all. If I'm supposed to be better than I was, then I'm fine, because I am. But if I'm supposed to be like Jesus, like God, then I'm definitely not fine the way I am right now. Most people live their lives thinking, I don't need to change, rather than thinking, I need to change. I need to change. Now, here's the deal. God loves you the way you are, but guess what? He loves you way too much to leave you in that condition. Yeah, he loves you like you are, but he doesn't want you to stay that way. He wants you to become like you were supposed to be. He loves us too much to leave us like we are. I should give him a better me every month. Years ago, a friend of mine, who uh, he got this track put in his mailbox, and it said, in front of it said, what you have to do to go to hell. And you open it up and there's nothing in it. You ever seen those? So what do you have to do to go to hell? You go, nothing, you're going. You could have one that says, what do you have to do to get away from God? Open it up, nothing. You have to do something to stay close to God. What do you have to do to, to ruin, to make a marriage not good, if not ruin it? Nothing. You don't have a good marriage, you're doing something. All good marriages do a lot of somethings to make it a good marriage. We talked about reaping what you sow, you make good choices. And a part of that is growing. You've got to grow. <clears throat> so, anyway, people who settle don't realize what they, you know, that they have settled. You know, maybe in your marriage. Are you guys peaking right now? Or just stalled out somewhere along the way? Now, here's number four. Settlers, is what we talked, we got into number four. Settlers think they're fine the way they are. 
If you know, you know you haven't settled when you quit trying to improve yourself. It's good that you're not the way you used to be, but it's not okay to remain as you are now. Growth requires change. You can't change without growing. If you always, nothing ever changes without change. If you always do what you always did, then you always get what you always got. So again, people come into counseling and say, you know, we've been trying for 10 years. No, you hadn't. You've tried one thing that hadn't worked, one way that hadn't worked for 10 years. You have no idea what this marriage might be if you did the th right things, did the things you ought to be doing, tried the right way. Knowing God better, becoming more like him, being used more by him, all require me to figure out what I need to change next. What I need to change next. Now, number five, the cure for settling is change. It's change. So in Revelation 2, 3, 2 to 3, Jesus tells them what they need to do, and it's what we need to do if we've settled. Number one, he says, improve what you're doing. So he says, strengthen the things that remain. So there's some things you're doing you ought to be doing, do them better. Number two, finish what you started. If you read here in this passage, they needed to complete and finish good things they had started. Their works were incomplete. Well, you know, I started to read the Bible through, or I started to start to memorize scripture, or I started to read some books about how to get over my pain, or how to be a better husband to my wife, or how to be a better dad to my kids, or whatever it might be. Number three, start doing what you know to do. Start doing what you know to do. Now look in verse three. It says there, they were to remember what they had heard, keep or do it, and repent. So in other words, there were things they knew to do that they weren't doing. They were doing some things, need to do them better. Other things they had started, but stopped, they need to get doing those things again. And there's other things they knew to do they weren't doing. So what, what, what did they need to do? What do we need to do? Well, a couple things for sure. Number one, we need to become who God made us to be. You need to become who God made you to be. And that is holy. Holy. Listen, we're not just to be better than we were. We're not just to be good. We're not just to be great. We're to be wow. Jot down 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. All of it. Every area of your life. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Holy is a lot better than most people think good is. If you're holy, there probably are people who are not holy, they may even be good, who are a little bit uncomfortable with you. Because you, your standards are so much higher than their standards. Become who God made you to be. Be holy. Now the second thing is do what God made you to do. Serve. Serve. God's served us in Christ. And then Christ calls us, saves us, so that we might serve God in others. Jot down 1 Corinthians 5, 18. And there it says that God reconciled us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
In other words, he reconciled us to put us in the reconciling business. He reconciles people to himself to put people that he's reconciled in the reconciling other people to himself business. He did something for us so we'd do something for him. He works in us so that he can do something through us. So the cure for settling is change. Number six, people who don't settle are what I'm going to call special. They're special. A lot of people settle. Again, in this passage, most of them had. A few, verse four, had not. But most of them had settled. People who are special spiritually don't settle. Hebrews 11 is the chapter about, it's God's all, uh, Old Testament all-star list. Men and women, many of the stories are told. Some of them, the names are just mentioned. Some of them, the events mentioned and the name is not mentioned. But all these men, these are men and women of faith. They're men and women who did not settle. They were special to God. Look in your outline at Hebrews eleven sixteen. And one of the things it says about them in that chapter is, God is not ashamed to be called their God. God would say, see him? He's mine. See her? She's one of mine. The fact that it says he's not ashamed to be called their God implies that there are people he's ashamed to be called their God. You get that? If, if, he wasn't ashamed, if that wasn't true, this, this statement here wouldn't, wouldn't be necessary. This, this statement tells us there are people God is, quote, proud of, and there are people he's not. The implication is that God is ashamed to be called the God of some people. In Mark 8, 38 and Luke 9, 26, Jesus talks about being ashamed of people when he returns. He says there, he'll be ashamed. So here's a question for me. Will Jesus be ashamed of me when he returns? Here's one for you. Will Jesus be ashamed of you when he returns? Now look at Hebrews eleven thirty-eight. 38. I, I love this verse. It describes, the, after telling all about all these people, says, men, and of course he's speaking to men and women, of whom the world was not worthy. Wow. This planet wasn't even worthy of these people. Wow. Don't settle. Be exceptional. You might become one of those people that God says, you know what? The world is not worthy of somebody like you. People who don't settle are special. Now, number seven. None of us know when we will stand before God. None of us know. In verse 3 there in Revelation 3, Jesus warns them and us that we have no idea when our time on this earth will be up. Look at what he said there in your outline at Luke 12, 39 and 40. He tells a story and then he ends it by saying, Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So we don't know. I may not make it home tonight. I may drown in a flood. I don't know, you know. I may not make it home. You may not make it home. 
We're not guaranteed 90 years, 100 years. So if I don't know when I'm going to stand before the Lord, doesn't it, shouldn't that behoove me to live every day as if I might? In the, I believe it's in, it may be in Psalms, says, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. It's a wise man who lives every moment of every day knowing that with my next breath I may be seeing the Lord. And how do I want that moment to go? Do I want to be ashamed? Do I want him to be ashamed of me? Or do I want him not to be ashamed to be called my God? Do I want to be ashamed of who I am? When your time is up someday, you'll either be found by God settling or growing, stalled out or revved up, coasting spiritually or picking up speed. 1 John 2, 28, jot it down, says that some will, sh will shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Oh God, not now. Not now, not during this season, not while I'm doing this, not while I'm with him or her, whatever it might be. Those who will be ashamed at his coming, those who he will be ashamed of at his coming, will be people who've settled. Who've settled. You know, a settler says, God, I believe in you, you just don't excite me anymore. You just don't excite me. Now, number eight, overcomers will be rewarded. Overcomers will be rewarded. You see this in verses 4 and 5. As in each of these letters, the overcomers get some kind of reward. In these verses, in 4 and 5, we see God's reward for those who refuse, refuse to settle in Sardis. Number one, they will be righteous like Christ. This is illustrating this statement about white garments. Remember earlier, he said the ones who had sinned, commission or omission, had sold their garments. And now he says, they will get white garments. Isaiah 1.18 says that though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Jot down 1 John 3, uh, 2 and 3. And there it says, it, it does not appear as yet what we shall be, what we will be like when we're in heaven. You know, will we have bodies like these or will we have other kind of bodies? How will we travel? What all will we know? We don't know those answers to all those questions. We do not know as yet what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We're going to be like him. And then it goes on to say, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So that's what we do. We, we will be rewarded with righteousness like Christ. Number two, their names will remain in the book of life. Now, most of you have heard me talk about this, but not all of you. The Bible never talks about God putting our names in the book of life. It's not like when somebody gets saved, God gets out the book of life and writes Johnny's name in it. Never says anybody's name gets put in it. It only says that people's names get taken out of it. And here in this passage, it talks about that your name will remain in the book. There are other places in the Old Testament talk about God removing Israel's name from this book. In Psalm 69, verse 28, it talks about people being blotted out of the book of life and not being recorded with the righteous. 
So our names are never put in the book of life uh, during our lifetime. So what do, you, what do you believe? I believe that when God creates us, remember Jeremiah 1, 5, I'll use that verse Sunday morning, talks as God says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I, anybody know what it says? I knew you. So somehow you were a person before you were a fetus. Now, if that was a split second, I don't know. But you were a person before you were a fetus, which says a lot about abortion, obviously. And so I believe at the moment God knew you, we say it this way, you began as a dream in God's heart. You are not a biological result of what a mother and father did together. God created you and gave you to them. So he thought you were, you know, you began as a dream in his heart and then he picked a family and put you in that family. Now, I believe your name went in then. And it's God's vote that you would say yes to him. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Christ died for all. And so Jesus dies for everybody so everybody can be sinned. It's not God's will that any should perish but that all should save. In Timothy, for God desires all men to be saved. When we finally say our last no to God, which we may not know we said, but he does, our name comes out of the book. And then, of course, those who are saved in the end, their names are in the book. But if you read all those references, it never talks about them putting anybody's name in the book. You just come out of it. Now look at Luke 20 verse, uh, 10 verse 20. And this is the story when uh, Jesus sends the disciples out two by two. He gives them the power to cast out demons and preach and all this stuff. They go out and do it. And then they come back and they're telling Jesus about what happened. They're all excited about it. And they're, you know, man, just, you know, we were casting out demons and we healed people. This was incredible. They were thinking that was all that. And notice what Jesus said to them in Luke 10, 20. And by the way, before that, he said, I saw heaven or saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So Jesus knew what they had done. And then in verse 20 of chapter 10 of Luke, he says, nevertheless, I'm going to just do, do a paraphrase of that. No big deal. All that you told me, really no big deal. But we cast out demons, no big deal. We healed people, no big deal. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. In other words, that's as good as it gets. Your name's recorded in heaven. Now here's the third thing. Jesus, it says in this passage, will introduce them to the Father and the angels. The idea of Jesus confessing our name before the Father and the angels is one of being presented. You do this in a marriage. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you for the first time Mr. and Mrs. William and Amber Hunt. Everybody claps. There's this presentation. I'm a Hallmark guy. Okay, I like Hallmark movies. They all have happy endings. I'm a pastor. I need happy endings, okay? See too many people's broken lives. And uh, there's all these, all the time they're having one about a castle and princes and all that. And they come in and present, I present to you the prince of whatever, the queen of whatever. It's kind of what he's talking about here. Jesus is going to introduce these overcomers to the father and angels. Pretty cool, isn't it? 
So Jesus is there at the gate, and he says, you know what? Listen up, guys. I want you to meet this person. And they come. Wow. I like that. Now, finally, look at there in your outline at Philippians 3, 12 to 14. This is a great passage on not settling. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. The word perfect there means complete. It's a word Jesus used on the cross. It means I've become everything I'm supposed to be. See, I'm not there yet. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. What did Christ lay hold of Paul for? For Paul to be who God made him to be all the way to completion and to do everything God made him to do. That's what Jesus laid hold of Paul for and Paul laid hold of Jesus for that same thing. Verse 13, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing, having arrived, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here Paul teaches the opposite of settling. He acknowledges, first of all, that he hasn't spiritually arrived. He's further down the road than any of us have ever been, but he hasn't spiritually arrived. Hasn't become complete. He's not yet fully like Jesus. And so he keeps moving forward. He presses on. He wants to become who God made him to be. So Paul seeks to lay hold of that which he was laid hold that which he was laid hold of for to become like Jesus and accomplish God's purpose in his life. He doesn't waste time looking backwards. Watch this, measuring himself against where he's come from. He spends his time looking forward, measuring himself against how far he needs to go, who he needs to become. He's not impressed that he's so much more than he used to be. He keeps seeking to be all that God made him to be. He's reaching forward. He's pressing on to a prize. That prize is his upward call. It's being all God made him to be, doing all God made, made him to do. Now, here's some closing questions for all of us to ask ourselves. I know on Wednesday night, we're the more committed people, you know, in most cases. Uh, definitely on, on the top of the commitment level in most churches. So here's some closing questions for us to ask ourselves. Number one, am I continuing to become more of who God wants me to be? Or have I become content that I'm better than I used to be? That's a great question. Am I continuing to become all that God wants me to be? Or have I become content that I'm so much more than I used to be? Here's another question. Am I more like him right now? Wednesday night, October 28th at 7.50 than I've ever been in my life. You should be. Am I more like him right now than I've ever been in my entire Christian life? Here's another one. Do I do more for him now than ever before? 
Do I do more for him now than ever before? I've met so many people over the years. You can't imagine how many people I've run into who said they used to be in the ministry. Uh, but all kinds of people. I used to be a deacon. I used to teach Sunday school class. I used to be a youth director. I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to. What do you do now? Well, not much anything. You think God's pleased with that? You think God's plan is for you to be less tomorrow than you were yesterday? You ought to be able to say, you know, right now, Wednesday night, October 28, 2020, I do more for Jesus than I have ever done in my entire spiritual life. That's a guy who hadn't settled. That's a guy who's growing. And then here's the last one. I mentioned this earlier. Is God getting the best version of me I can possibly give him right now? Is God getting the best version of me that I can possibly give him right now? And a whole lot of people would have to say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm way less than I could be, and I know it. There's a, there's, if you want to read a book that'll blow your mind, how many of you like to feel convicted? Do you like to just feel real bad? Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a book and make you feel bad. It's by a guy named William Law. It's written back in the 1800s, I think, maybe 1700s. And so it's called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. And if you want to feel really bad, this is a good book to read. And basically, here's what he'll tell you. You know the reason you don't know Jesus better than you know him right now? Because you never intended to. Had you intended to, you would. Do you know why you're not more like Jesus now than you, no more like Jesus now than you are? Is because you never intended to be. If you had intended to be, you would be. Do you know why you don't do more for Jesus now? Because you never intended to. Isn't that, isn't that really the truth? I mean, we've reaped what we've sown. We've become all we really tempted to be, haven't we? If I'm not more, it's because I didn't really mean to be more. I didn't really try to be more. I was happy being less. I was happy settling. Is God getting the very best version of me right now? Right this minute. And if not, why not? Join us next time as Pastor Rocky continues the Revelation series in chapter 3 of Revelation as we study the sixth letter to the church in Philadelphia, a faithful church. Let's see what God says to them. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Corrington Cast, the official podcast of Corrington Church. If you have any questions at all, visit us online at CorringtonChurch.com or drop us a message or comment on social media. We're at Corrington Church. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we pray God's richest blessings on your life. Give us a rating, hit subscribe, and have a fantastic day.